listening to Obstacle Races New Zealand. Join your hosts Max Bell and Stephen Steady as they explore the realms of obstacle sports, including OCR, mud running, adventure racing, hybrid racing, ninja and more in New Zealand and abroad. Welcome to another episode of the Obstacle Races New Zealand podcast. And today, so we've got Justin Jones as our guest on the show today. And he's a Kiwi living over in UK. So he's an OCR athlete, an SGX coach, and the brand ambassador for Cura New Zealand. And you were you were telling me, Stephen, before we started recording, you saw he just run a race recently. Yes, um, he's just done a a trail run through some a park in uh, somewhere in the UK, <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, I think it was three, four, or five kilometer laps. Uh, you could do pick one or the other and run as many laps as you possibly could in 12 hours. Uh, I think the Fortitude something or other. Yeah, Fortitude. Just pulling up their website now. Yeah, it looks like 10 hour. 10 hour race, 10 hours, yeah. I think as you run one lap every hour on the hour. Oh, okay, so it's a bit like uh, the backyard races. Okay, big, big backyard and things like that. I'll say how those work as well. Yep, there was one here in uh, Auckland on the weekend. Um, keep running for as many laps as you possibly can. I went in it last year. I just did a teams race, a 12-hour teams race last year, and it was um, 6.8 kilometres, I think it is. So which, yeah, and you can just do as many laps as you can. I think they got uh, 32 or 34 hours, something like that here this year. There's a, sorry, what's this, a 12-hour version? There's a 32 mm. A lot of them have the 12 hours. The one here in Auckland had an 8, 12, and a 24 hour race. And you can race as a team and just do as many laps as you possibly can. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, doing, your, doing it on your own for 10 hours, it's, uh, it's still pretty keen. It's a, a good little um, day out. Absolutely. It sounds exhausting. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> it does. It does. But the weather looked nice looking at a few of the photos that he posted on Instagram. So. Nice. Uh, and it was a real interesting conversation with him. He's uh, certainly done a lot and planning a lot to do a lot. He's got his own um, gym he runs over there, helps people keep keep active. Um, before we jump to the interview, what have we been up to? Done any any training, any good training recently you want to talk about? No, no, I haven't. Uh, oh, I went to uh, Liam's new gym. He's opened in Glen Ennis here in Auckland. Uh, Liam from the um, NZOSA. I went over there and had a, a day with, or Saturday morning with a couple of the other guys. Mm, so is it a Cinder Fit? Is that yep, the name of the gym fit. as well? Yep, yes. Nice. Yep. Oh, how was that? And it was good, yeah. No, uh, it's like he's only, he's only a couple of weeks old. He's only been there two or three weeks now, two weeks, I think. Still waiting for a lot of his gear. He didn't have any of the, the bikes or rower machines. Half his weights weren't there, but um, it's a nice big area. Looks well set out. I'm uh, commuting between here and Wahi Beach at the moment. So uh, my wife are staying down there for summer. So when we come back in uh, the end of April, beginning of May, I'll uh, I might sign up and do a, a few uh, classes with him. What about yeah, you? I'll have to go next time I'm in Auckland. Maybe for Ultimate Athlete or Spartan. Spartan, yeah. And I'm up there. I have to go check out his gym as well. Mm. Yes, Spartan, <laughs> the buggers, got to move again. Yes, that's the big news item, isn't it, <laughs> for us to talk about. 
bit of a yeah. Well, this time right. it's uh, not good news. All this waiting around and everything, and I don't look like I'm going to be able to do it because um, we planned on uh, a trip to Australia uh, around the uh, last week of November and the beginning of uh, December. So um, I think I'm going to have to kiss my money goodbye with trying to get them. I was supposed to be at Bright uh, the past weekend doing a, a race, a trifecta weekend with a couple of friends there, but that didn't happen either. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one. Um, yeah, so the news, if anyone hasn't heard, is that Spartan Auckland has been postponed again. So this is the fifth time I've postponed a New Zealand race. So it adds up to two full years of postponements now. Mm. It was scheduled for 13th, 15th of May. It has been postponed to the 25th, 26th, 27th of November. And here's, here's the, should I read out there? So here's the announcement they sent out. It says, Dear Spartans, due to the New Zealand government code red restrictions, the Spartan event cannot proceed in May as planned. Following discussions, we have agreed that it is best to steer clear of winter, hopefully avoiding any potential COVID issues, and designate a date later with warmer weather and a healthier environment. Uh, and they give the dates and they give the info on tickets and stuff carrying forward. Uh, and they say, like you, we are incredibly frustrated by the circumstances we have faced over the last two years. But make no mistake, we are determined to bring Spartan back to Auckland and feel that this is the best solution for races, suppliers, partners, and stakeholders. So the crazy thing <laughs> is that they postponed, and the reason they postponed is that they said due to the New Zealand government code red restrictions, um, which the restrictions at the time were that under red level red outdoor level. events were limited to 100 participants. However, the New Zealand government then said that exact same day that they were lifting <laughs> all these restrictions. Um, so they, yeah, <laughs> they, Spartan sent out their announcement and then literally a few hours later, the restrictions that they said were the reason they postponed were removed. And then there's, there's no outdoor gathering limit on events in New Zealand any longer. We don't get any more comeback. Yeah, yeah, it could be a reversal. Yeah, if there's a big. Oh, hopefully not. Hopefully not. The yeah, the timing of it's just um bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to say about it. Yeah, it's a bit hard to say they would have had inside information because I don't think anyone really. We well, we sort of knew, didn't we, that they were, the government was going to do it. So, oh well, it was, is what it is. It's, yeah, the heads up was given that the government was making the announcement. On Wednesday, on that day, yeah. um, so I find it odd that yeah, an event management company wouldn't know that mm. the announcement was coming, um, and just the timing was so bizarre <laughs> that yeah. it happened in the exact same day. Yeah, so unfortunately, Spartan did not come back after the government's announcement and changed their postponement. Um, they're stuck with the new postponement date, even though they could have gone gone ahead in May. Um, so there wasn't a reversal, unfortunately. So Spartan is now going ahead, yeah, 25th to 27th of November. Yeah, so that means it's week before Ultimate Athlete again. Yeah, so I don't know how pre-planned that was because Spartan Auckland was the weekend before Ultimate Athlete Mount Monganui. And yeah, now, yeah. That, now Spartan's postponement date is the weekend before Ultimate Athlete Auckland. 
Yeah. Be interesting uh, to see what Gavin has to say when we get him on, and if they had a, if they'd had a discussion or at least any communication on it. Yeah, it would be. It feels but like it would it, be would be good yeah. to know that they have communicated with the other event organisers to make sure they didn't plonk it on top of because they have done that before. It did happen in the past before. Yes, Spartan. Oh, so that happened. So Spartan's May date for this postponement was the weekend before Ultimate Athlete Mount Monganui. However, their postponement before that, they shifted to the exact same date as Ultimate Athlete Mount Monganui. Yeah. Um, and then they shifted back a week to avoid a clash. Yeah, and no. now they've changed to a week before Auckland. So it, it kind of feels deliberate. It would be interesting. We do have Gavin, um, the general manager of Ultimate Athlete, coming on. It'd be fascinating to talk to him about if that was um, communication it. between them about it. Good to know that they are communicating. They're not trying to operate in silos. Yeah, especially as Spartan and Ultimate Athlete are probably the two biggest OCR events in New Zealand. Yep. Uh, so it's good for them not to clash. And um, pretty exciting actually that they are both going to be back-to-back -back weekends in Auckland. So yeah, yeah. there's definitely the opportunity to you know take that whole if you're outside of Auckland like me, take that whole <laughs> week off work and go up for one weekend, do Spartan, stay the whole week in Auckland, and then do Ultimate Athlete. Mm. And uh, ultimate, you're still coming up for Ultimate Athlete um, in May? Yep. Yep. So what's that? 20, 20th, 21st of May. So I'm going to go up and do officiating again, volunteer okay. doing officiating for the race. That'll be exciting. Yep. yep. So that's and, with the NZOSA. Have you got other people lined up for that or to help with the officiating? Uh, how are you getting on with that side of things? Still figuring it out at this point. Um, so most of the people, we have a team of us through the NZOSA who are you know, going to become officials. We're going to do the training and be able to offer OCR officiating. Um, however, a few people have other things on that same date. Someone with the border now opening, one of us, their, their relatives, finally able to fly into the country that weekend. And then some of the <coughs> other guys down south have a, an 85th, I think, birthday of a family member. Um, so unfortunately, the date's looking like it's a bit busy for anyone else. So it's still working it out. Hopefully, a few of us will be able to officiate. Okay, that's good. And hopefully, we can roll it out to other races around the country as well, be able to offer officiating services. Yes, yeah. And um, one of our other perspective interviewees, people that we're trying to get on is Hayley Atkins. Atkins. And uh, I see she uh, won her age group at the trifecta weekend in uh, New South Wales over the weekend. Nice. So we'll have to get her on while it's all fresh in her mind and she can tell us all about what went on for the couple of days that she was over there. Mm, absolutely. She yeah. raced under an Australian flag though, so we'll have to discuss oh, no. that with her. <laughs> yes. All right, well, shall we cut over to Justin's discussion and see or have you thought of something else you'd like to bring up uh something because we, we've been talking about getting our first well we have locked in we've been talking about getting sponsors for the podcast oh yeah yes so we've locked in our first sponsor for the podcast it's exciting next episode i believe we'll be able to bring that on board and get a promotion for them and so that's something i want to bring up now is as it's coming and i'm excited <laughs> so we have a, it's a new zealand company who's sponsoring the podcast and they're offering us a discount code and some product for us to review and talk about and 
you know, it's a product that's, yeah, made here in New Zealand and relevant to OCR athletes. So very exciting to have that on next episode. Okay. Oh, that's good. Okay. Shall we cut over to Justin and let him tell us all about OCR in the UK? A little bit about you. I haven't had too much time actually to research you, so jump in if I miss out anything. Um, but you're you're a Kiwi living in the UK, SGX coach, and an OCR athlete and a coach as well. Had a lot of experience racing races just from following you on social media. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I I I guess I got into um, obstacle racing. It was actually uh, the tough guy and gal, and that was held in at Palmerston North on the Linton Army base. That was yeah. coming up uh, ten years ago now, and I've actually I've actually still got the mug. That was uh, that was part of the the, uh, the survivor pack, if you like. Okay, what year was that? Do you remember what year it was? That oh, was the mug? Yeah, it was two, two, 2011. Oh, okay. So, I got my mugs up here. My uh, oh, my first one was 2014. I missed you by a few years. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did the pub. That was sort of, yeah, a mate said, sort of, oh, let's go, let's go do this. And it's sort of like, it's an obstacle race. And it's, I thought, oh, yeah, well, that sort of will give that, give that a crack. And I was, um, I've been a personal trainer now for, gosh, <laughs> Uh, over 20 years and it was like so I thought okay right I'll, I'll do some gym conditioning I'll do circuit work and and um, and get ready for this race and it's probably one of the rookie mistakes I made as someone coming from sort of a, a, a gym bunny background was that training for an obstacle race by just doing strength work and it's actually it was much more I should have actually done a lot more running because it was a lot of running through marshy ground and not being fit as a runner for that I was sort of like my my friend just basically ran off and left me he did two two laps i did sort of the 7k and it's like and it turned out there weren't that many obstacles they sort of they sort of uh picked up the uh the sort of you know assault course thing and you did have like a few obstacles on their assault course you didn't do any of the rope climbs and stuff because they were basically going no we don't want general the the general public trying to climb trying to climb our ropes and get over walls and stuff but it was sort of that was the opening and then it was a couple of years later it had and, and we moved to the UK the next year, and I did my first Tough Mudder in 2013, and that was that was set in in Glenisk Estate on, in Wales, which is sort of lots of rolling hills, um, the mud, there was walls, there was the uh, the customary Tough Mudder fa uh, favourite of electroshock therapy. We basically ran through dangling um, electric cattle wire and get and got shocked, and I went, that was tough. I'm never doing one ever again. <laughs> That's me done. And it wasn't till 2015 I sort of went. I got sent an offer, and I was like, "Yeah, I think I'll, I think I'll give this another another go." And it was sort of from there I started doing a few obstacle races. I met some clients who were preparing for for some of the obstacle races, and started getting into it more and more from there. And then, uh, yeah, 20 sort of probably it was sort of I'd do a couple of races a year and. It was really sort of around 2018, sort of, I, I did my first Spartan race. And I went in thinking, oh, yeah, I'm fit enough. I've, I've done some obstacle races. I'll, I'll do I'll do the Spartan race. And it absolutely kicked my butt. I turned up. I didn't have the, I didn't have the right shoes for the day. And I went, I was sort of like, I, I really got my backside handed to me. And I went, I'm not having this. 
I'm, I'm going to be fit enough and I'm going to go back and I'm going to do some more races. I had some other, some other races booked up and I started getting fitter and fitter. And then I made some, some health and lifestyle changes. I just sort of, uh, um, later on. And I, I was sort of, one of those was I took a break from alcohol for, for three months and I turned up at a, um, the Spartan beast and I actually did pretty well. I actually ran only about 10 or 15 minutes slower than the super I'd done. And the super is about 10 K. I actually ran only 10 minutes slower for this tw- uh, turned out to be 25 K. I actually ran only 10 minutes slower than I'd run the, the super earlier in the year. So I thought, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a, a good crap the next year. So 20, that was, so that was 20, 2019. I thought, well, um, sorry, is that team for the whole thing? So even for though the whole, was... for the whole Spartan race, yes. Oh, so a I big... could, I could, yeah, it was a big, big jump. It is. Wow. So, so I thought, well, yeah, I could, I could do all right at this. Yeah. And the next um, 20, 2019, the uh, Adventure OCR World Champs was being held in the UK. So I thought, well, actually, I, I should try and qualify for this. So I booked booked some races and ended up qualifying on the very first race that I entered, which was, it's a race called um, uh, the Nuts Challenge. And it's a winter race. So it's um, sort of March. So it was, it was quite, it was very cold, very wet. You end up going through water and it's a, a lap race. So you do the same, uh, sort of did three, three laps and ended up coming fourth, uh, fourth or fifth. Which was which was good enough to qualify for the world champs that year. So I, yeah, from there it was sort of that's where I would say my my obstacle racing really took off was that 2018 2019 year. So before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about COVID, how it impacted events. Is it the same sort of timing over there? It was would be that 2019 period where yeah. COVID started shutting things down. It was yes, it was it was um, sort of we just finished the 2019 season. We'd had a a Spartan Stadium race, which was held at uh, Twickenham Stadium. So it was it was that adjustment held. That was that was a fantastic event. So it's a, it's another opportunity for Spartan races would be to have, depending on the costings, would be to have it somewhere like um, Eden Park or um, in in Wellington at the Cape Town. But um, sort of we'd just literally just finished that, and then there was starting to be talk about oh this COVID thing. Um, coming out of China, and it was sort of like at, at the time, most people were thinking, "Oh no, this is just like the flu. This is nothing serious." And it was only really it started started arriving in the UK, and it wasn't. We locked down quite late, and it was wasn't until March that sort of like everything went into lockdown. I'd just compl- I'd, we'd been lining up. The season was due to start in April, and then it was sort of like end of March. It was it was. Um, Everything just went right. Everything went into complete lockdown. Everything went into isolation. All the races went on hold, and it was there was that sort of time. And so, I mean, nobody knew what was what was happening. It was very the government was very disorganised as opposed to the New Zealand response. So it just yeah, everything went on hold for for three months. They started Spartans started doing virtual races. It was um, but yeah, just everything was nobody knew what was happening. Mm, so right as you were getting into it, that 2018, 2019 yeah. period, I guess that COVID got in the way. Um, but you've been busy this year, right? You've gone back to racing already. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It was. Um, yeah. 
we started opening up sort of around June of this year. It was um, there was a few races held with restrictions, and all the races that had been set up for 2020 were every, most race organisers just went we're rolling over to 20, 2021, and it ended up I had at one point 16 obstacle races booked in for the year, and so it was like my goodness my my what is going to kill me, sort of I I had to break that one very very gently because uh we have three young children at home a uh, a now two-year-old a, a five-year-old and an eight going on 18 year old <laughs> so, <laughs> so and i've got another daughter um that lives um with her mum but it was a case of i had to juggle things a bit to get those races in and i looked at i had so many i had about 10 Spartan races booked up and I was actually one race short of a trifecta so I actually booked in what's called an ultra beast for those that don't know there's uh, there's the beast that's um, a beast race which Spartan run which is uh, 21k of running 30 obstacles the next step up is the ultra beast which is two laps around the beast plus they add um, an extra extra loop for the ultra ultra runners so it's 50k of cross-country running and 60 obstacles and I thought this that would be sort of that would really sort of be the icing on the cake for the year so I thought I'm, it's a bit crazy but I'll book on for the ultra beast so it was a weekend in Scotland it was they ended up uh, having to move locations but only about five weeks out so they Spartan had to completely reorganize the event for, for a different venue as, as, so you can imagine, as a as a race director, that must have been a logistical. They were were not particularly happy, but they they did it and they managed to still run a fantastic event. The numbers weren't great, but it was a it was that was probably the peak challenge of the year, and it took a lot of training and and a lot of commitment. But that was probably the highlight of my year, and as a result, I ended up with uh, what's called the triple trifecta, which would be a great thing for New Zealand to have. Was so a trifecta you get. A, completing each Spartan race you get a wedge which when you get the three wedges together of a sprint a super and a beast makes for a, for a whole medal on its own and then you get a special if you do that all in one weekend you get an extra medal so the wall rack is is absolutely covered in in medals for this year for the for the number of races nice so what is the triple trifecta that's that's three of that same trifecta that yeah, three of that same trifecta within within a single season. So, yeah. And I guess, yeah, in the States and if you're prepared to travel within Europe, it's actually quite possible to do an trifectas a number of weekends. If you've, if you've got the time and the availability and the money, you you could probably do a number of trifectas over, over a given season. Wow, it'd be incredible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly for the UK next year, they've got, um, they've arranged for four trifectas just based in the for those just purely based in the UK, and being of a similar size to New Zealand, that might be a potential a potential for the future is to have start with one trifecta weekend, and then possibly add a second trifecta weekend if it's, if the model proves successful. Mm, I'd love to for New Zealand. It'd be awesome if New Zealand Spartan race could become like a destination race. You know, people yeah. not just targeting New Zealanders, but being able to hold it. In some awesome venue where people were flying in for it, mm. and people from yeah. Australia and America and Asia, and 
Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And like when I spoke to Chris from Spartan, he said there was 30% of the competitors that turned up to Ellerslie first, the first one, or the only one, were from Australia. Um, and mm. they all came across to get it. What do you call it? Australia's just got their second trifecta weekend. Um, yeah. And when I spoke to the the guys from AFOS, the Australian F Obstacles Federation, they do, to get their triple, they go and do Hawaii. So do the two mm. in Australia and one in Hawaii. Yeah. But it would be good to have one here, at least one. Yes, well, certainly, I mean, outside of Auckland, Wellington would be, and Christchurch, uh, Queenstown would be would be ideal locations because they've got good transport links with Australia. Mm. Yep. And sort of um, having lived for four years in, in Wellington prior to mo uh, moving to the UK, it would certainly, uh, sort of knowing that the transport links from, from the airport to the central city, out to Porirua and the, and the Hutt Valley, Wellington would, to me, uh, seems an ideal location because you've also got plenty of natural obstacles, which Spartan do like to have a lot of hill and incline in their, in their races, some of their toughest races. Uh, are the ones that involve um, sort of a lot of elevation. So one of the one of the races I did back in 20, 2019 was at a, the, the location of Morzine, which is it's in the French Alps on the uh, the Swiss French border, and it was another it was a it was a race that was had something like two thousand meters of of climbing and elevation. It was based on this on on a ski slope, so that was a, it was a fantastic venue. The scenery was was spectacular. It was a very challenging course from a um, from a physical perspective. Yeah, I think I've seen photos and videos on on social media for that. Is that the one when everyone had to you had to go up? What do you call it? Like the Olympic um, ski jump thing. It's a uh, massive hill that, they build for the Olympics, but they had the races going up um, it. That, no, that I think that might have been an, uh, another race. They just used okay. the, um, the, the the ski slope, some of the ski slopes down, and where they have the um, oh, I've lost I've lost the name for this, is to go up the to transport you up to the top of the top of the mountain. <coughs> they use you got yeah the cable cars. That's the one. They, you basically were running the trail underneath the cable cars. So it was it sort of sometimes it felt like a forty five degree incline trying trying to get the up the side of this hill. A little bit like Tahoe in the States. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can see all the cable, uh, the uh, lifts and chairlifts and all that going over the head. Yes, you, you, it, was, it was exactly that. And they'd also throw in things like carrying sort of 20 kilo chains as, as one of the obstacles, as sort of some of the, the more advanced obstacles like the eight hanger wear. And if you fail, you've got 30 burpees added on top. It, the race is held normally in July. And it, so the weather could be, it could be 25 degrees Celsius. It could be more, so it was. You add that that challenge of the, trying to deal with the heat as well as the as well as the flying in for the altitude. So it was a, it was a very challenging race. So how was how was training for the ultra the ultra beast? How did you find that? Is a lot of a lot of mileage, and how did you find that with kids um, need to go out on long runs? Um, it was it, it ended up. Um, my work, I ended up having to transfer my, I had kept my long run day for during the week. So my wife doesn't work on a Wednesday. So she's, we're, she's looking after our two-year-old on that day. And it's, so I had it ended up, there was a gap in my, in my work schedule to train on Wednesday morning. So that ended up being 
my my long run day. So if I was out, I'd be out for sort of two or three hours on that day. Sort of I keep my, my shorter runs for the weekend. So I wasn't the sort of sac- sacrificing as much time with the family and help and helping looking after the kids um, on on the weekends when when my wife's not working. I normally would train around three days a week, and I would, but I'd also be training uh, strength and technique for another three days a week. So I was typically training about six days a week, making sure that my my gym training was to help me run more efficiently, to prevent me from getting injuries. It's training my upper body strength. So it was it was demanding, but I sort of I managed to train it fairly smart. So I'd do the mileage that I needed to do, but not um, not try and sort of throw in junk mileage as it were that had to be very tight and very focused um got a little bit ahead of ourselves you grew up in in hastings can we go back to young justin so you grew up there how did you get were you sporty at school were you or this is just a later in life midlife crisis time (laughs) it was very much i was i was the kid that was absolutely terrible at sports at school i was sort of I went to Hastings Boys, which is sort of quite quite the rugby school, and I was I was the kid that for for team sports at PE, I was the kid you picked after the fat kid, the the asthmatic kid. I was the one with absolutely no hand eye coordination. It was sort of like I, I swear the teams would fight over who got me, not for the for the value but who got who got left with me. It was just like and Jones. And there was a, like a collect. There was almost a collective groan within the other people who had been picked for the team sport for this for the sport. And it was just like I had no interest in in playing rugby because I was terrible at sports. I had no interest in playing rugby. No interest in in any of the, the other sports. So it wasn't till I went off to university. I used to sort of cycle a lot around the Hawke's Bay because it's fairly flat. But when I got off to university, I started doing fencing, which was actually. You didn't. It was a sport I seem to have developed an affinity for, and I found you didn't have to be compet. You didn't have to be competitive with anyone but yourself. So I started doing gym training when I was at uni, and I found I enjoy. I enjoyed that. I started helping friends with their with their gym training, and then one day I decided, okay, well that's that's what I want to do. Sort of is to to go into the fitness industry. So it was yeah, it was very much a, a later in life thing for me to get into sport. Okay. And is that what took you to the UK, or how, how, how did you end up where you are yeah. now? Um, I went out to, to the UK for a, fr- for a friend of mine was was getting married in Slovakia. So I went out what was just going to be a, a holiday trip and did a bit of a touring around Europe and sort of arrived in England and thought, well, actually, this looks like a great place to um, to settle and have a <clears> bit of fun, do some work as a, as a, um, as a fitness instructor. And ended up uh, going home, selling up everything, and going out to the UK on a two-year, two-year working, working holiday visa. Ended up staying for four years. Had um, I had a child, and then uh, sort of things didn't work out well with that relationship. I ended up moving back to New Zealand, but on the way, I went to I went to Paris for what was supposed to be like just a, a five-day sort of uh, see Paris because I'd never been to France. And then go home, and I ended up meeting my future wife on a tour um, in Paris. So we came back to um, I came back to New Zealand. She came out to visit me. We realised okay, this things are pretty serious. We um, we we started out just having having a relationship, and then realised okay, no, this is meant to be. We ended up 
getting after sort of I went back back out to where she was she was working in Japan um, and proposed and we got married in 2011 and decided we wanted to we both wanted to work, work and live in the UK so we ended up moving back here in 2012 and that was that's pretty much where we've we've made, we've made our home. Yeah. And I take it your wife's French or you met a Kiwi? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, no, she's my wife. My wife is French. So we do we do try to get across to the, um to uh, to France at least once a year. It's sort of it's it's actually it's almost like uh, traveling from North Island to South Island and then a bit of a drive. So it'd be effectively the distance of getting from Wellington to Christchurch using the ferry. Okay. Yeah. So. And then you got into coaching over there, and and then Spartan came along, and you become a SX coach. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I was I was been. Um, it was actually during, I'd been eyeing it up, and then and then during the lockdown, I sort of thought, well, this is a chance to upgrade upgrade my qualifications. So I decided to take on the, the SGX, SGX program for Spartan um, for Spartan coaches, and thought this is there's there's something in this. So I I've then qualified as a one of the few SGX two level coaches here in the UK. So it's it's something I really think is a it is a growing sport here. There's a lot of a lot of challenges, sort of trying to grow it and grow the membership of the um, the Obstacle Sports Federation here, because to be recognised as a sport, they need about 1,600 members for them to be recognised by the um, by the UK sporting bodies. And at the moment, they're at about between seven and 800. So they've they've got a bit of work to do to to be recognised as a, as a sport. That's the next challenge for obstacle sports over here. Because yep. certainly there's a yeah there's a there's a great there's quite a people love doing the obstacle races as like a go out with friends have a have a laugh have a or with work colleagues have a laugh go around one of these muddy runs they they love the mud over here for some reason but um yeah so there's certainly that there's that groundswell that is then converting people into doing it as a as a sport and there's certainly we've got some very prominent elite elite athletes. Um, in the obstacle racing here in the UK, there's um, if people want to look up uh, John Albon, A L B O N. He's a number of times world champion across a number of the different sort of Tough Mudder, Spartan, other um, European champs. He's he's a, fan, a fantastic athlete. I believe he's based in Norway, but um, Norway. yeah, he's a UK yeah he's a UK yeah, athlete. I read his bio today. Oh no, his bio. His little blog today on um, the world. Championships in yes. Abu Dhabi and how he yeah. uh, was training for that, uh, going into the desert and he's training and he used to have to bring the the spear inside because the rope kept on freezing um, right. and stuff like that. It was quite an interesting. He put it out. Yeah, he put it out the seventh. So he must have put it out this morning. It's uh, I follow him on Instagram. It's a real yes. interesting read on how he trained in Norway yes. in the middle of winter for racing around the <laughs> desert last weekend yes I, yeah, I, yes because i think uh, i mean i saw that he was he was struggling after the uh, after the beast where he came third and it was i uh, was thinking yes it was sort of must have been quite a dramatic change to, to how do how do you it's a case question of how do you train and for those um for completely obstacle uh, completely opposite um, atmosphere temperatures but it, when you're like, living in norway like it is if you get it if, like Oh, if you go to his um, Instagram page, he's got a link to his blog, and he writes. I read it quite a lot, 
Uh, and even yeah. just like shoes, he said he went over there with his Innovates and realised he should have had something wider because it just sinks down in the sand. Uh, yeah. Couldn't change them because he'd spent so much time having his gaiters sewn on and glued and sealed up. And No, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But his calves just gave out and he couldn't keep up with those other two. Yeah. Yes, well, I think it's sort of for, for Ryan Atkins, it must have been a dream come true because he's been... Always the bridesmaid, never never the bride. He's been he's been runner up in a number of champ, world championships over a number of years. So it was just that was his moment, and his wife actually won the uh, the women's uh, world champs as well. So yeah, so it was quite a history making event. Was yes, but yeah, Ryan didn't have it won until right at the end. Even when he went across the last mm. obstacle, he said he could hear Sergey breathing down his neck. And he was so worried he'd one little slip up and it would all yeah. be over. Well, that's 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 been my experience when um, with the with the when the elites are, are running, it can be as simple <laughs> as a one one error on one obstacle, particularly the the spear throw, which some people regard some people regard that as being a bit of a potluck obstacle. From a coaching perspective, I say it's actually if you train technique. It becomes it's not so much of a potluck obstacle racing. I did I used to do archery, and there's a number of technique things that I applied to spear throw because nobody likes doing burpees. There's a there are a number of body techniques you can apply and throwing techniques you can apply to spear throw, so that you you've got a much better um, chance chance of of hitting the obstacle, making the spear stick, and then you the the technique is you 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 run like fernando to get out of that that uh, spear throwing area just in case the spear tips down touches the ground or falls out the rule state if you if you're out of the area it still counts you're not you're not penalized if you if it hits this if it hits that target and the then the spear drops down and the spear touches the ground that's a fail oh. so the key is make the throw when you see it's going in run run as fast as you can yeah and, and that's if you watch Lindsay Webster, she always takes the last one for that exact yes. reason. I can remember her putting on an um, Instagram or on an obstacle racing media or something saying the exact same thing. She always goes through and tries to get that very last one. So she's only got 12 steps and she's outside the arena. So as yeah. soon as it touches that board, she's gone. Yeah. Um, that's how so you don't. That's good. Yes, yeah, that's very much. Yeah, there's very much the strategy is is also I mean there's things like looking at choosing uh, choosing the spear that's stuck into the into the spe- uh, into the hay bale or into the target because then you know the string is long enough because sometimes over the course of the, over the course of a weekend the strings can get quite knotted up because when you throw the spear the spear uh, is spinning so the rope gets um, gets tied up and tangled. So, you, um, so if you know that the spear is sticking in the in the target, you know, okay, right, I know that now that the rope is long enough, you pull it. So you pull out that spear, run it up, and you keep the keep the um, the, the rope over the other side of the barrier because the mistake, one of the mistakes I made in the, my first ever Spartan, was I threw the spear. It was luckily it was going at the target, and then about six inches from the target, the spear just went. No, and, and it flew back at me, and it was like, what? what's, what's going on here? Some sort of prank. And I looked down, and my foot was on the rope. And it was like, they went, 30 burpees, sorry. So what is the technique for a spear throw, in your opinion? Because the way I've heard was, like, throw it like a dart. 
so not like a ball where you're twisting, but yeah. like arm forward, throw it straight, it's all in the foot, flick okay. of the elbow. Is that is that the technique you recommend as well? I that's not the technique I, I recommend. It's sort of a I guess your your listeners can't see me visually cringe at the uh, throw like a dart <laughs> technique. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's um it's more of a it's more of a javelin throw. It's sort of um, it's so I tend to have my 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 non throwing arm pointed at the target. Um, and I, it's more like a javelin throw, it's or sort of like a baseball pitch, and then then making sure that you're you try and you're, it's actually your front foot is turned in so that you limit the rotation because if you if you do throw like a baseball, there's a chance that you're going to rotate a lot, and that could throw your spear off in that in that direction that you um, sort of over to say for, if you're a right-handed throw you could throw, end up throwing over too far to the left, so if I limit the rotation in my hip. I can I aim it at the target. I close one eye, and I have a, a I tend to have you you have to have the point behind the balance. There's a balance point on the spear, and your hand is slightly behind that, so you end up throwing it a little bit more like a javelin. And at at the event in Wales, they actually had the ver- the distance can vary between races. So for example, at um at the, at the Twickenham Stadium event, due to space restrictions. It was almost the the spear throw was almost close enough. You could almost grab the end of the spear and just push it into the target. It was um, I was more worried about the, the spear going through the target or over the target. Whereas at, at uh, the Wales event this year, only about on the between the elites and the age group races on the on the first race of the weekend, the beast, there was there was over a, there was there was a few hundred competitors. Only nine people actually made the spear throw. Because they'd set it about, they'd set it so far back. It's normally about probably seven meters away, and they'd they'd set it back about ten or eleven meters. So a lot of sort of big strong athletes were having a lot of trouble actually getting the the spear to the target. By the end of the weekend, I my my strength as my strength was starting to fade, I could make the, the line, I could throw in the line, and my 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 spear would sort of skitter up to the bottom of the target. You just couldn't throw it hard enough to to get the legs, so that's something I've I've worked on now is how to how to throw for throw and hope for for further away. So it can can be more of a javelin throw, just without the runner. Yeah. That, that's my that's my take on the spear throw. And I okay. at the ultra I actually made all, there was they set out an extra spear throw on the on the ultra lap. So you, as an as an ultra beast runner, you you threw the spear four times over the course of the weekend and I made that every single time because I practiced my techniques for many many hours that was probably that was my big lockdown hobby was was the spear throw technique because it was you could sort of you didn't need a race you just went out through spear through spear through spear and practiced a lot to get that right mm. I might have to start practicing a spear throw again because <laughs> I always heard the opposite was yeah. like don't throw it like a javelin throw it like a dart so in, we yeah, last came to Auckland, like 2019 Spartan. Um, yeah, I threw, I threw it like a dart, got a right right sort of power to get hit yeah. the target, but just missed the target completely. <laughs> Went straight past the target. So I'm like, oh, yeah. if I throw it like a javelin, use my other hand to aim, it may be better. Um, yeah. The only obstacle so, I failed was the spear throw. Um, but yeah, now that yes. Spartan's hopefully coming back to New Zealand, yeah, i got to start practicing. You just reminded me. Yeah. I need to... It's, it's yeah. easy enough to make your own spear at home with a... Um... With a tool, um, with like a rake handle, put a put like a um, 
a little bit of weight on the end of it, like or like a tennis ball. So make make sure the, the head is weighted. You don't need a like a, a proper uh, spare head if you want to just get out and start practicing. But normally, yes, I I, I do throw like a, a javelin. I, mean, I might have to put up a video of, of how to do the technique that I use. Yeah. So, so on that, do you do you have um, like facilities that you can go and train at in London or um, Kent or wherever uh, you guys are? Um, like yes, um, there there are train there are a number of training facilities around, and some of the some of the best races actually um, one one particular series called the Nuclear Races. They actually have training facilities set up at their at their event location. So it's probably one of the best. Um, race series in the UK that they're actually established on a family farm but they've also set up like obstacle um they've got their own race team they've got some of the obstacles permanently they've got obstacles permanently set up that people can pay to go and practice on so it generates another re revenue for the race for the race directors so unfortunately so the the, uh, what is it one of the world championships was held in 2019 or uh yes that's yes that's the one so they have a, a permanent set, a permanent setup there for for a number of their obstacles. Some of them are, they will sort of store in the in the family uh, or in the farm farms. Some of them will be made specifically for a for a weekend. But there are also permanent permanent obstacles set up. Is that the race so, where? Yeah, I'm just thinking, seeing photos online. Is that the one where one of the weight carries is like you're carrying like a bomb? Like like a World War Two sort of airplane style bomb. Yeah, it's um, races. Yeah, it's it's um, they've got a, a very interesting history. Is that it was a, it's a fam it's established on a family farm, and during the Cold War, um, there was a compul compulsory purchase by the UK government to set up a secret underground bunker, so that if um, if World War Three happened. The, the new government, they knew London was, was going to be bombed, so they set up, were setting up an alternative place for to form a government in, in this in this location, on this farm, in a, in a nuclear bunker, and it's, um, which fortunately never happened. And at the end of the war, the, um, the family, um, well, at the end of the Cold War, the family were able to purchase this back. So originally there was a, um, they had, an they, they sort of started having the secret, the secret bunker as a tourist attraction. And then, for whatever reason, they decided to get into setting up their own obstacle races. So they had the farmland, and they decided to theme everything around sort of um, the idea of nuclear. So, like, yes, you do carry a um, a weight called um, on, that looks it's shaped like a missile. That various obstacles are themed around sort of like uranium rods, um, and all sorts all themed themed around that. And it's a fantastic event. They've They've really focused on developing the kids' races as well, sort of recognizing that, it's the, that if you bring the kids along, the grown-ups might do the race, and they make it a fun. It's it's a very much a, a family-friendly event. It's very very well organized, and it seems to be the way for the non-corporate race races to to focus their attention. So they knew how to they knew how to run a business, being working on a, um, having a farm a family farm. So and set up they set up as a business as a business model. Not just sort of oh let's let's set up some obstacles, have a race, that'll be fun. There was that seems to be a part of their success is they've got there, so they've now got four races in the year that they call sort of nuclear rush. They have they have nuclear blast, they have uh, yeah. nuclear blackout, and blackout blackout being a night you you run the the, the race during the days. Um, of course on the 
and the day that's nuclear blast and then the, they do a night race and you run the same same course and they call it nuclear blackout and then they do what they call the cold one which is nuclear fallout which is in november which is starting to get into winter the the water gets very very cold that was that was my last race of the season and when you hit you came off the slot the slide flying into the water that water was very very cold on that first lap it was just like everything contracted up it was like i went i went into cold water shock it was um it was just and it sort of struggled to get out from that from that first lap it was but it was yeah they used the they used the theme for all of the events and it's and it's been very very successful it's been it's won multiple awards over the years and it provides a good model for anyone looking to set up their race if they're not if they're not a corporate event yeah it's i've heard a lot about it i went out when we were i was doing some research for the nz osa on leaderboards and everything their website was one of the ones i i looked at and, and stuff like that so have you done um sorry you just reminded me now i'm trying to look it up now but there's rat race uh, i haven't no i haven't haven't done the rat race they're actually they um the organizer that have decided to they call it their dirty weekend they're actually finishing up with obstacle races they're moving more into adventure racing adventure racing yeah uh, okay. yes just thinking that because they they are holding one in new zealand is that right yep they're okay. going it's, a, it's an adventure race which i think is 2023 mm -hmm. i follow one of the women who oh, what's her name yeah, just 2023, just found it now. Four brand new multi-sport races across Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, an Australian company bought into them. Yeah, just thinking that connection between New Zealand and the UK, the races. But that's one company that I'm aware of is operating in both countries or it's going to. Mm. Yes, yeah, so certainly. I was yeah, going to say, that like race, they hold them all over the world and they are, um, yeah, they have some quite spectacular races. They have them in the States and everywhere. Yes, I think they've sort of yeah they've just they've just clearly decided that um, that's where the focus is. I mean, logistically to set up for for obstacle races and for the insurance and e and everything else is as um as you can imagine is is a there's a lot of cost to setting up any sort of race, but for for obstacle races having to also have the time to construct the obstacles on site, safety check them, is a, is a huge logistical operation. And if you don't get the numbers. Then potentially you're, you're sort of quite quite a bit of money down the down the plug hole. So how are all the other races over in the UK? I mean, you mentioned they include a lot of mud. Um, do they? Is yes. there a lot of? I guess I watched the documentary Rise of the Sufferfests. You know, it goes into yes. the story yes. of um, tough guy in the UK. Yes. You see the you see the mud and the ice and the, <laughs> the craziness. Is there a lot of races over there as well that do have ice or is that was that just unique? Um yes, there's the one I can think of off the top of my head is in Scotland and it's called Matt Tough. And they have a uh, they're running their last January race in 2022. So there are there are a few um there's also what's called the Nuts Challenge which they run in March. So um and certainly I know a few years ago we had a, a storm come over um, by um, from Europe from Russia called the and it was the, the storm was named the Beast from the East, and on that on that year a, a, they still ran the uh, the nuts challenge and it was it was very very cold. Apparently they did have to break the ice on a number of obstacles that morning, and a number of people came off that race with with hypothermia. So you do get them. They're not obviously they're not as popular 
as the uh, as the summer races. So it's yeah, there is there is there are some that run sort of you could probably find a race every every month if you really wanted to, sort of ranging from sort of small local races up to sort of the bigger events. So the bigger events tend to more um, to more focus on the on the summer season, especially sort of coming off off lockdowns. They sort of they're trying to now recoup their um, recoup their losses, start to get themselves back into into positive figures. They're tending to concentrate more around the summer when more of the people who, who are just going in it to have a laugh at their friends or their work work colleagues and give it a go. They're more focusing around that area for now. And and that's the UK. So do you have you been over to Europe much? Because Europe's got a fairly big. Or in Eastern Europe, any rate, there seems to be yes. a race every second day. Yes, it's certainly the um, Spartan Western Europe, Spartan France, and Central Europe. You can you could look at the schedule, and yes, you could if you can, if you're prepared to drive or or fly, you could certainly do um, Spartan, Spartan races every other weekend. And there's various other race firms out there as well. You could definitely race the entire year round. I think they do they do have winter Spartans, so I think. And they also have gone, Spartan have gone into trail races as well. So you end up using some of the race course and the trails on these locations to do sort of sort of trying to get people in or trying to get others involved in, in the racing because they figure they've got the venue for the weekend. They might as well use it to its best capacity. But you could certainly race winter races as well pretty much everywhere if you if you went to Europe. So just on trail races, have you had anything to do with any of their trail races? Um, I normally because I'm 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 racing racing an obstacle race. I haven't haven't done the trails quite so much, but they tend to be set out on the. So you'll see markers out on the on the on the course, and they'll have like. So if if you're if you're running the obstacle race, you follow the white markers. If you're doing the trail race, you follow the red markers. So they often run in conjunction at the same time. So it's it pretty much boils down to a choice of do you want to do obstacles or do you want to just run a trail. Ah. Because yeah. you signed up for the one in Auckland, haven't you, Max? So I have, yes. That might be a conflict. Have you thought of that? Uh, at this point, I believe it's the Friday night before. It's going to be a oh, night. Okay. One. So they're not on at the same time in Auckland. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Certainly, if you're fast enough, I have I have friends who who um, who went out who ran the ran the beast course and then booked in for the trail race the same days. So it is possible to do if you're if you're if you're quick enough, or you're you're confident enough, you could book in for a trail and an obstacle race at, at, on the same day. So you do say, for example, the trail race in the morning, and then you do you'd go into an what they call an open an open non-competitive wave in the afternoon for the obstacle race. So so just on that, do you know Jeremy Robinson? I take it. Uh, I only heard him on your on your podcast, so that was I sort of went. I, I thought I'd, I'd look him up and see how he did in the in the yep. uh, in the world champs. Because he did, just he, to even beat. He did a trifecta on one day. Oh, the yep. uh, I don't know if you that, that was only a podcast. He flew to the Philippines to do a trifecta, and there was a super typhoon or something coming. So they just said, mm -hmm. "Well, we're going to do it all on the Saturday." So oh, yep. So they did a sprint, then a super, and then had lunch, and then did a beast. Yep. <laughs> yes. I, I certainly, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I did, um, and when I was in Wales for um, for a trifecta weekend, I actually ended up, 
I had a I'd won a, a an open ticket for for a beast, and I had a, already had the age group age group beast uh, booked for the morning. And I thought, well, I I thought I'll go out, I'll do the course, and I'll see how how it goes. And I'd I'd already done the ultra beast that year, so I ended up run, uh, running the running the beast in the morning for the age group, and came out with a very good result. And I thought, I've got this ticket. I might as well, it's it's got to be used. I can't transfer it to anyone. So I thought I'll go out and I'll run the course again in the afternoon. And that was that was tough. That was probably I'd almost describe that as being tougher than the than the Ultra Beast because they had a you carried a it was about a 25 kilo sandbag on your shoulder and you actually climbed up about 200 meters up up the side of a hill and then went back down and you did um, so you ended up. I carried that multiple times over the weekend, but once I'd completed that and it, that second beast, I was absolutely shattered, and I still had two more races that weekend. And people, when I said to people, I did I did the beast in the morning and the beast in the afternoon, they looked as me at me as if I had completely lost my marbles. So yeah. because it was it was a very tough course, and it's actually going to be the location for for an ultra next year. We have two ultra beasts um, lined up for. For the event calendar next year so that will be and that will be one of them and it was it was they only had they only had one hill on the course but they were very ingenious that you end up going up and down this hill multiple times so it actually had as much elevation as uh, as one of the courses in europe so the uk courses tend to be a little bit flatter than europe because certainly in sort of central europe they've got a lot of mountain ranges and they use them to, to create a, a lot of challenge through that through that climbing elevation. So they, they certainly spark full credit to Spartan UK. They they did take a maximum advantage of the one hill they had to make for a very challenging course. And being Wales, there was a lot of rain. Um, there'd been a lot of rain over the days leading up to the event. And you're climbing this hill, and there's just like a torrent of rain coming down, and it's all it was all red clay, and it was just like you're absolutely caked in mud. And you're trying to sort of almost climb a, like a mini waterfall on each of the races. The Ultra Beast will be easy then. You've already done it. <laughs> You've already done two pieces. I, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I kind of looked at it as, well, this would almost be practice for, for the Ultra Beast next year. And it's, um, and it's like, okay, I'm wondering, okay, how are they going to, how are they going to um, ultra size the, um, the course? Because one of the things they do, that's not only that, the um you'll do the obstacles twice they sort of sometimes like some of the the olympus wall they made that an extra section longer for the for the ultra runners they had a double sandbag carry which is the each of the sandbags is 50 pounds i think that's about 25 ish 20 around 22 kilos each one you had to carry two of those and do a uh, a lap with those so they make the yeah, the ultra they do like to make it a lot more challenging than just simply running two laps of, of the beast. So it was it will be interesting to see how they how they toughen that up for the next year. So just out of interest, how far would you travel like what, to do to get to these? How far from where you your your base do you have to travel to? Um, um well Scotland Scotland we ended up flying. That so that was sort of um and then it was about an hour and a half drive for, uh, from from Edinburgh to to the event location. They had originally planned for it was only going to be a fifteen minute drive, but it was normally we'll tra I, I try to keep the travel within about two hours. 
So sometimes that will be for for Wales. It was about two and a half, three hours. So it's a norm, they normally keep they're tending to um, gravitate more towards the middle of the UK or the south because that's where the population base is. And most people would travel maybe an hour, hour and a half if they're keen. They'll travel. They'll for for the age groups and elites. They'll travel wherever it is. Yeah. Yeah, because back in 2019, we had to fly to Australia to, to get anything we mm. Yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you more about your personal transformation as well. I've seen you post yeah. a little bit about that in your social media, about um, things before you got into OCR. It was, yeah, yeah, I sort of... Yeah, if you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, I sort of... Well, I mean, certainly there was, you, you saw that I had the photo sort of doing a, a 2015 was it 20? Uh, no, that was it. Was 2016? I did a at a race in a photo, and there was a bit of a. I had a bit of a shock at that at that photo, and it sort of it remained hidden for many for many years. So that is certainly certainly over here in, in the UK, they have sort of quite the drinking culture, and I ended up sort of getting sort of drawn into that. I was still helping people get fit and train, but sort of my own sort of there was a lot person uh, in our personal life. We had a lot of stress in 2016. Um, I, my son, um, I, we had our sons were were born very very premature, so that's at 20, 26 weeks, which is basically it's right on the edge of um of um of when a um, a premature baby can survive. We went through um some very 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 tough for, um months. We got home with our our twin boys, and then one of my one of our boys passed away very unexpectedly. That was very as you can imagine that was that was very very tough emotionally. And then, sort of, um, it was only a few months later, one of my brothers passed away, and then at the end of, end of 2016, my mother passed away. So it was a very, very tough time emotionally. And certainly, I was using, as as we're told, you use you use um, alcohol to 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 deal with emotional situations. That's sort of, and that's how we were sort of brought up in New Zealand. And that was, and that was, and sort of that led to a bit of. I wasn't. I would say I wasn't an alcoholic. Alcoholics go to meetings. It was. It was more a case of I was use. I was using it as a, a self medication. And it was. I did sort of. I pulled myself out from that. And then it's sort of like with stress, various uh, stresses that went on in life. I started using it as a way of sort of dealing with stress, which is the other way we're told to you to use alcohol. And it, the trouble is, it actually makes makes you more depressed. It's um it's a sedative, but it also can create anxiety. So it meant that um, on an emotional level, you end up with these massive cycles of sort of you you, you use alcohol to relieve the anxiety, but it fuels the the very anxiety you're <coughs> trying to use it to to relieve. And it was actually when I went to a, a, I actually was thinking about taking another break, and I went to a, a Spartan race, and at the time. They um they had one of the promotional stands for his, was for a company called One Year No Beer. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. I'll I'll take a little look at that. And they ran 28 day, 90 day, and um one year programs for taking a break from alcohols or changing your relationship with alcohol. It's um and so it's not about you don't have to hit a rock bottom. I certainly I was I would describe myself as a as a high fun as high functioning. Because I was still managing a business, I was still looking after my kids. I was very, very busy. I was still doing everything that sort of was expected of me. But I was using it was I was using alcohol in in a non-healthy way. So take and taking a break from it, I found my athletic performance 
improved, my stress levels dropped, my anxiety levels dropped, I was feeling better in myself. And I also used, ex I sort of replaced the alcohol with exercise. So I more or less went from being an addict to an athlete and used that as a way of sort of um, moving past alcohol. And once I'd taken that 90-day that break and I saw how much um, my race performance improved, that's when I decided, okay, well, I might just roll. I didn't decide I was that was going to be it forever. I thought I'm just taking a break. And then it, um, those those when those differences came through, I decided, okay, well, I might go a year now and just see see how that goes. And it ended up from there, sort of having gone from strength to strength in my racing. I decided, well, actually, I don't need alcohol. I'm I'm doing a lot better without it. I'll just I'll just go on. And I'm not to say I'm I'm going to say nobody should drink ever again. I'm not saying I might. Um, might not ever drink again but it was just taking that break and recognizing from a performance perspective that certainly it certainly didn't help oh yeah and so i think the new zealand culture especially with young males has a problem yes problem there that's for sure um hmm. i do dry july every year and and i know i drink way too much but i've never hmm. given it up for a year yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah. So, well, certainly, I'd say in in the UK, and it's starting to emerge in other places that sort of some of the younger generations uh, are actually um, not even even starting drinking. There's, it was. I remember reading a uh, there was a survey, and it was something like twenty six percent of adults in the UK under the age of thirty don't actually drink at all. So it's there has been a bit of a culture sh culture shift. In that perspective there's also nowadays there's a lot more alternatives certainly in the uk of um alcohol free or uh, very very low alcohol be um, beverages so um down at sort of 0.5 percent which you couldn't actually if you drank if you continually drank you could not actually get drunk on that level of alcohol but it still tastes like um like the um the regular the regular versions or close, certainly close enough it fools your brain so you're thinking oh i'm having a beer i'm relaxing but you but you don't get a lot of the negative effects tied in with alcohol so that's that's been a, a huge turnaround it's one of the fastest growing markets is actually for for low alcohol beverages and there's one particular company called um erdinger they're a german german company and that's they've actually marketed themselves as an isotonic sports drink that you can so you can have that that, that beer after you've done a race and it tastes it tastes quite nice and they do a lot of sponsorship of things like marathons and actually have taken that perspective of this is a there's actually some research to back very low alcohol um beers being um good for recovery after after a sports event because i think athletic brewing in the states is the same they're yes. big and they're in all what do you call it Yes. yes, and there's um, yes, there's another company. There's a company in, in Australia called Upflow, Upflow that do some very low. Yeah, so they do some 0.5% beers, and they they they're quite tasty. But they sort of they met with quite a strong negative reaction in in, in Australia. They market a lot to the UK because there's quite a growing um, growing demand for it here. But in the in Australia, there was just like you what? <laughs> it's like you don't drink, <laughs> mate. What are you? <laughs> well, I'm serious. Australian. I'm celiac, mm. so I don't drink beer at any rate, and I wish they would yes. come up with a, a beer that tasted was gluten-free, that tasted yes. all right, because yeah. all the gluten-free ones that I've had. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. So a lot of the races in New Zealand, they um, hand you a beer at the finish line. Oh, Spike yes. is one of the biggest yeah. sponsors. And, 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 of... 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. you're a challenge and all that. Yes. Yeah, like yes, uh, certainly. Sorry, I saw Spartan coming here. Australia, New Zealand sponsored by a whiskey, is that right? Some spirits, right? They're sponsored by a spirit and then yeah. I've okay. Yeah, is that the same in the UK? They have yeah, the you do get um, alcohol and they give you beer. Yeah. Yeah. Alcohol marketing is sort of I'll say a little bit controversial to say they've sort of been, they've they picked up from the playbook of tobacco uh, tobacco mark. Yes. I think that's a huge problem in sport, especially uh I think you brought it up earlier too, like the the children coming into OCR, like you know, there's a big market for kids and teenagers and mm -hmm. then OCR getting into alcohol sponsorship and alcohol yeah, at the event for free. I mean for free for once you've done the race. It's like um yeah, it runs into some issues, especially yeah. when races are trying to push the next generation. Yeah. Not giving them beer at the race, but seeing that as normalized. Yes, that's sort of it certainly yeah. it does it does happen at the UK races. A number of them will 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 give out a free beer at the end of it or alcoholic cider at the end of a race. So they, uh, at least, uh, with Spartan, they have at least got athletic brewing on site as well. So there is that alternative. And they do because they're giving they're giving away. But um, so you, you can, that's the thing. You could go, you could have your, your alcohol. They Interestingly, they had um, like, it was like a, um, it was like an alcohol mixer this year. So it was like a, um, it was like a, a fruit drink in a can. So it was just like, it's like even when I was a beer drinker, I'd have gone, no, no, I'm not, I'm not having that. <laughs> but they did have, yeah, they had athletic brewing on site, so you could go and get some free samples from them as well. So at least they they made that side of things. But yes, they sort of, I think my my mic cut out. I said um, they've taken up alcohol um, producers have taken up from the playbook of tobacco that used That's to right. try and align themselves with sports. Alcohol well, alcohol brewers are now doing the same. Yeah, and there's a big push here in New Zealand to get alcohol out like we did with cigarettes now to get alcohol out of the rugby the sponsorship of rugby and netball and um, yes and stuff like that but i have to admit yes. like yeah every time i've got onto a podium for age group in with spartan they've always given me a six pack of beer <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i'll take the beer at the finish line <laughs> yeah same thing same the tough guy and gal yeah i came yeah in one of those recently and they, yeah they hand you a, a six pack it's your prize yeah it's good. Well, that, that, that's the thing. It's, it's sort of, it's yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it's that that feeling of, of de you've deserved the reward, and so they're trying, they're trying, they are trying to tie it in with that. But certainly, if they can have that shift towards the alcohol-free alternatives and having good-tasting alcohol-free alternatives, has has really been the key. It's um, interesting. Guinness of all of all companies have actually produced a zero alcohol beer, and if you looked for it you could you could taste the difference but it's it's actually so remarkably similar it's actually very hard to get to, to buy it in the shops and the supermarkets because you get you go to a supermarket and it's like you'll see you'll say oh it's there and you you'll grab one and then sort of like you go back the next day and it's gone and and most people who tried it it would be you'd be very hard pressed to to, to taste the difference on it and it's sort of it's that it seems to be spreading into things like beers and ciders and Red wines, not so much. Red wine seems to either taste like Ribena or it, or it tastes like vinegar. <laughs> it's a, it seems to be a very difficult to get one that actually tastes tastes good. If you think finding a uh, a, a gluten-free beer that tastes good is, is hard, <laughs> Stephen, it's, it's, yeah, red wine, forget it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've tried that as well, but uh, every now and then I uh, have a go at trying to be really, really healthy. But, um, yeah, I couldn't do alcohol-free red wine. Because I must no. admit, I do drink more red wine than anything. 
All right. Um, is there anything we haven't discussed that you would like to have talked about, Justin? That that you any questions we haven't asked or anything I, you want to put out there? No, I, th I, th I think we've we've covered a fairly broad range for the uh, for those that are still listening. So I'm. So where will people get can get hold of you? I know I follow you on Instagram, okay. but um, yes. Normally, uh, normally Instagram is um, is at, at Active Choice OCR is my obstacle racing sort of handle, or otherwise my fa Facebook group Active Choice UK is where people can no can normally get a get a hold of the, the web. My website is is under development at the moment, but certainly those are the places on on social media that people can get a hold of me. Otherwise, Twitter at, at Active Choice OCR as well. Been fascinating. Yeah, yeah certainly. Has. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'm excited to see how how OCR develops from next year in, in New Zealand. I think it's there's a, a lot of potential to, to grow the sport, particularly sort of amongst kids, amongst those who may not see um, may not be the ones that get picked for picked for rugby and and sort of a, a that drawn into rugby. They're sort of to say, well, hey, look, there's more individual sports out there that can still challenge you, can keep you fit, can keep you healthy. I think and that's I think OCR one of the has a lot of potential for that. One of the reasons me and Max started this was to get more, um, get it out there a little bit more because New Zealand, in theory, should be on top of the world with OCR. The adventure mm. racing, all those sorts of things come from here, really. And and we've spoken to a few different people around New Zealand and they're all, there's been little races here, and little races there, but nothing big. I know we don't have the population and you're not going to get the 12,000 people to every race, but... Um, I still think there is a huge potential here, especially being tied in with Australia, because once the borders open, yeah. you can, it isn't that bad. Flipping across, I went across to Melbourne for a weekend and it's, it's like flying yeah. across town. Yeah, it's, I, think it, I think it is very doable, sort of, a, as you say, once, the, once those borders open up, to sort of take advantage of, hey, look, it's only, it's only a three-hour flight or a three-and-a-half-hour flight to Auckland or Wellington, Christchurch or... Queenstown to, to be able to do these races and in some spectacular locations. Yes, there is some, certainly is some. All right, um, one other question we ask all our guests. If you could have coffee with any person, whoever, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, that, that, is, a, that is a tricky one. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Joe DeSena, who created the Spartan races. Because I think sort of he's he's a very he's a very interesting person, sort of learn, sort of picking up some of his 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 mental his mental mental resilience. I think in a, in a conversation would would be a great thing to to pick up sort of some 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 advice from him. Yes, going to stay and his ranch in uh, Vermont would be really good. Have you have you read his books? Yeah, I have I have read a, a couple of his books. Yes, yes. I think he'd be a very interesting person to talk to. Lockdown here, I read a couple of his books and uh, Spartan Up, um, the first one, or about how he started and where he come from, was was really interesting. Yeah. Yes. How he survived his first ever race, I have no idea. And Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, even even coming through the accident that sort of, um, sort of could have destroyed, uh, destroyed his hip and how he rehab from that, I think, was that was yes. just um, fascinating. No, he certainly would be a, a, a real good uh, person to sit down and have a chat with. All right, well, thank you very much okay. for that. It was really good talking to you. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, thank, and thank you, Max. So, yeah, it's been great talking to you guys. <laughs>